James chapter 3, and uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 18 this morning. And we are challenged with this thought, and we have been challenged with this thought as we've been studying in James chapter 3 together. How can we learn to do good with what we say? How can we learn to tame our unruly tongues? The bad news is, and you heard this if you were with us last week, the bad news is you cannot tame your tongue. And that's not me saying that. That's God's Word saying that, as James tells us back in verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. We can tame all kinds of other things, wild beasts and such, but we cannot seem to tame our own tongues. Left to ourselves, it is clear the situation is absolutely hopeless. Left to ourselves, that is, without God's help. And that is where our hope lies, in learning to tame our unruly tongues. Because God is gracious, is he not? God is very gracious. God is gracious and gives followers of Christ just what they need to tame their tongues. Where we get ourselves into trouble is when we depart from what we need. When we do our own thing. What we're going to see here in James this morning, what what I think we're going to hear from James today, is that living the way the world lives, and we're talking about ungodly ways of living without Christ, thinking, speaking, treating people the way the world tells you, and, and that world the Bible describes as one being led by the deceiver, that is Satan, living the way the world lives without Christ is not the way to controlling the tongue, and not the way to living in harmony with the people around you. And I think we all, at heart, want to live at harmony with the people around us. And so it ought to compel us to say, what is the way to learn and control the tongue? And and what is it God's Word tells us about this important task? Living God's way is the key. Living God's way is the necessity. Living the world's way only leads to conflict. But living God's way leads to harmony and peace. And we're going to see that here in this epistle, this epistle from James. Let's look together at James chapter 3 and verses 13 through 18. Follow along as I read. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But... If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now what we're hearing here from James is that if we truly want to learn to tame the tongue, we must allow ourselves to be guided by the wisdom that only God can give. We must be 
willing to yield ourselves to the wisdom that only God delivers. Do you want to use your tongue for good? I trust you do. Do you want to learn to control what comes out of your mouth? I trust you do. Here's number one. Here's number one. Agree with God that godly wisdom is the key. If you can't start here, you're going to have trouble. You must agree with God that godly wisdom is the key to you learning to control the tongue, to you learning to control what you say and how you say what you say, to you learning to live life in the way God requires you to live and and calls you to live if you're his child. Note in verse 13 how James asks a question, and I would suggest that as we read this question, we should be very careful how we answer. Look at verse 13 again. Who is wise and understanding among you? Do not put your hands up. Who is wise and understanding among you? Says James. It's like he's saying, do you think you have wisdom? Do you think you're wise? Then he says, he drops the, the, he drops the hammer here. He says, prove it. Prove it. Look at the rest of verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works or let him prove. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He's saying here to believers, show me your wisdom by the way you live. Don't wag your mouth and tell me you have wisdom. Make your life prove it, okay? That's what James is saying. That's what God's word is challenging us with here. We are so quick to speak, aren't we? We are so quick to talk and say, here's what I know. Listen, you listen to me because I can tell you, right? We we kind of live our days like that, and it's hard for us to to stop talking and, and to listen to one another. It's one thing to say you have wisdom. It is an entirely another thing to prove you have wisdom by living wisely according to God's word and in in the meekness of wisdom, says James. Now, in the original language, the idea here where we see the word meekness, don't get confused here because often I think in our English language we get confused with this word. And it's not what James intended, if we go back to the original languages, to see this. He doesn't mean weak, okay? He's not saying weakness. But the idea here is strength under control. The truly wise man or woman is humble before the Lord's wisdom and in meekness and in humility before God conforms his life to the wisdom of God's word. It is the strength and the wisdom of God's word in humility obeyed, what is what James is talking about when he says in meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. Now, how do we know James is talking about God's wisdom? You might be saying, well, how do we know he's talking about God's wisdom and the wisdom of God's word? Well, first of all, we need to think about what James is teaching here. As we've been studying along in this letter from beginning in chapter 1, we can go back there to chapter 1 to what we heard James tell believers in verse 21, to receive with, and here's this word again, to receive with meekness the implanted word. 
So he's telling believers, receive God's word, also known as wisdom, God's wisdom, right? The wisdom that's from above is what he's talking, was what he's talking about here in chapter three. But back in verse 21 of chapter one, receive with meekness the implanted word. And in verse 22, that believers should be what? Doers of what? God's word and not hearers only. James has been all about showing us what a growing believer's life should look like. And it's clear to James that the growing believer will be one who honors God's word. The growing believer is one who is obeying God's word. The opposite is also true. One who refuses to obey God's word cannot be a growing believer, cannot be a thriving Christ-like follower. God's wisdom is what we need. Heavenly wisdom is what we need. We need to honor and obey God's word. We need to do so with the meekness of wisdom. We can also see it here in verse 15. We know James is talking about God's word when he talks about the wisdom that's from above. Because look at verse 15, when after challenging believers in verse 14, what not to be like says that this is not the wisdom from above, which he's saying in verse 14, don't be like this. That's not the wisdom from above. Because the wisdom from above that's heavenly, that's godly wisdom, the wisdom of God's word is seen described in verse 17, and he uses that same phrase again saying, but the wisdom from above, and it looks like this in verse 17, and we're going to get to that in a moment. So we know James is talking about godly wisdom, biblical wisdom. The trouble is, trouble is not many of us will admit to being foolish. <clears throat> and again, don't put your hands up. But we wouldn't, it's probably not hard for you to keep your hand down on this one, is it? How many of us is foolish? Oh, don't, don't do that, all right? And instead of being humble and admitting that we often, and myself included, often catch ourselves doing our own thing, and we often catch ourselves being arrogant, and we would never admit to being foolish, would we? We find it very hard to say, well, I am not very wise. And we all think we're pretty smart, don't we? We all think we have the wisdom that we need. But, but if we're trying to live without humbling ourselves before God's wisdom, if we're trying to live without the meekness of wisdom, then we are being foolish, says James. We are living in an earthly way, a worldly way. And that very thing was apparently happening among the believers because James was writing to challenge them not to do this, not to boast about being wise when you're living like fools. That's a challenge to us. I say we better guard against this. We better examine our own hearts and make sure that we aren't saying, I've got wisdom when we're living foolishly in opposition to the truths of God's word and from the wisdom above that, that James is talking about. Note how he says it here in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't be a liar, in other words. He's saying, this, this he says is not the way those who are doers, remember chapter 1, those who are doers of the word don't live like this. They're going to live according to verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. You're going to get away from those things, and you're going to move toward Christ-likeness and obedience to the wisdom God gives, the wisdom that's from above. 
And that's why I can say, as I did at the beginning today, that that living the way the world teaches us all to live is not the way to living in harmony with the people around us. Be very careful about taking advice from the world about your personal relationships because that is not God's wisdom. No, the way to living in harmony with the people around you is living God's way with godly wisdom, the wisdom that is from above. The way of living that that the world tells you to use is opposed to God's way of living. It is opposed to godly living. It is unscriptural. And James says it is even demonic. When the tongue and therefore the life is controlled by the things of the world instead of the things of God's word, there will only be, says James, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, which only leads to discord and strife. And it will show up if believers live this way. It will show up in the church and it will show up in our homes and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. That's verse 16. Look at it again. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? Disorder and every vile practice. Why? Because these are not God's ways of living. So if you want to learn to control the tongue, and if you want your life to be lived in the meekness of wisdom, as James says in verse 13, then the heart that controls the tongue must be guided by God's wisdom. God's people are to be controlled by by a higher standard of conduct than that of the world that we live in. That's number two. If you want your tongue to be controlled by godly wisdom, you need to agree with God and be done with worldly wisdom. You need to first of all agree with God that godly wisdom is what you need. You also need to agree with God that worldly wisdom is what you need to be done with. Agree with God and be done with worldly wisdom. Be done with it because it's destroying your relationships. Why is worldly wisdom so destructive? James shows us first, first because its roots are in bitter jealousy. James mentions this twice, uh, once in verse 14, you see it there, and once in verse 16. This is the kind of thing that exposes the true state of our hearts, isn't it? I mean, when we we begin to act this way, it really shows what we really are. It shows what our hearts really are. Bitter, Bitter jealousy causes one to always seek his or her own way. Not the good of others, and certainly not God's glory. That's a dangerous, a dangerous attitude, isn't it? Bitter jealousy. Second, because its roots are also in selfish ambition. James mentions this twice also. Again, the idea is much the same. Selfish ambition causes us to do what? Think only of ourselves. And the person who is selfishly ambitious is not doing all to the glory of God. As 1 Corinthians 10.31 challenges us to do as followers of Christ, do all to the glory of God. If we live like this, we're striving for all the glory for ourselves. You know what I mean? We're all, we're all just trying to get the glory for ourselves. We're trying to get our own way. We're being selfishly ambitious. And that is not, that is not being guided by godly wisdom, the wisdom that is from above. That is earthly wisdom and evil and demonic. 
And that is from James. Third, worldly wisdom is destructive because it is boastful and arrogant. James points to this in verse 14 saying, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast. What happens when we get this way? We begin to boast about what we think we know. You see, the so-called wisdom of the world makes one boastful in what and what they know, so to speak, right? What they think they know. But this is not the wisdom that is from above, as we will see. Fourth, worldly wisdom is destructive because it is false to the truth. It is opposed to the truth. Verse 14, worldly wisdom opposes and is false to the truth that is from above. Worldly wisdom makes the truth that is from above out to be a lie. Worldly wisdom says, you can't believe God. You can't believe his word. You can't believe the Bible. That's an old book. That doesn't really work. Worldly wisdom makes a sham of the truth of the gospel. Worldly wisdom is is false to the truth in that it allows the one who lives by it to think he's the only one who knows the right way to live. And everybody else is wrong. Fifth, worldly wisdom is destructive because it is... Verse 15, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. You hear the progression there? As he says it, as he describes it, it gets worse. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The source of worldly wisdom is not God. And if the wisdom you're depending on is not from the source that is God's, you're in trouble. This this source of wisdom is from the devil. The Bible calls him the, the liar. The liar of all liars. And sixth, worldly wisdom is destructive because it, its outcome is more often than not, verse 16, disorder and every vile practice. Listen, worldly wisdom is destructive. That's putting it simply. That's what James is telling us. Worldly wisdom is destructive. It will ruin your relationships. It will make you say things you know you shouldn't be saying, especially after you've said them. You'll, whoops, I shouldn't have said that. Be done with worldly wisdom. Put it away from you and put into your life and live by the wisdom that is from above instead. Now, here's step number three to using your tongue for good and learning to control what comes out of your mouth. Number three, agree with God and only put on the wisdom from above. You know, again and again, we've got to make sure we agree with God. God's right here, okay? And God says, you need my wisdom. You don't need earthly and worldly wisdom. Trouble is, sometimes we disagree with God and we go, no, I'll take a little bit of your wisdom. I'll take a little bit of the world's wisdom. And we've ruined God's wisdom in our lives by, by tainting it with something that is only going to cause disorder in every vile practice, says James. So we need to agree with God and only put on the wisdom from above. What's so powerful about the wisdom from above that it helps us learn to control our tongue and live lives that please God? Remember, as James challenged us, we cannot do this on our own. We need God's wisdom to learn to tame the tongue and change our lives, the lives that control our tongues. So what's so powerful about this wisdom from above that would help us do that. Look at verse 17 again. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy 
and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, we just saw six reasons worldly wisdom is so destructive to our lives and relationships. Now, here are eight reasons why living by the wisdom from above, living by God's wisdom, brings control to our tongues. And Christ-like living to our lives, you see, the Christ-like living in our lives helps us control our tongues. Our obedience to God's word helps us learn to control the tongue. And it brings peace to our relationships. I think we all want that. Now, first, the wisdom from above is pure. Note it. It is pure. And this is so important. Pure points to holiness here. The idea is that this points to a righteous way of living, a Christ-like way of living. Being from above, this wisdom is God's wisdom, right? And God is holy, and God is righteous, and God is just. He is pure, and thus his wisdom is pure. It is righteous. We're going to hear James in chapter 4, verse 8 say this, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded How do you purify your heart? With God's word and wisdom. Worldly wisdom leads to sin, but God's wisdom leads to purity of life. So first, the wisdom from above is pure. This is why it will help you gain control of your life and your tongue. Second, the wisdom from above leads to peace. It leads to peace. God's wisdom is peaceable. Meaning that when God's wisdom is believed and obeyed, guess what follows? Peace. I didn't say the absence of trouble, okay? God's word doesn't teach teach that, that we're going to have the absence of trials and and untold blessings abound and no more troubles in life because we still live in a fallen and sinful world, do we not? But note that James started with purity. He started with holiness Peace at the cost of sacrificing the holiness of God by sacrificing the truth for the sake of peace is not true peace. You see, we can't deny the truth of God's word and have peace too. That's worldly wisdom. There can be no peace where the truth of God's word is compromised. That's why James starts, I think, with purity. But the truth of God's word obeyed leads to true peace. God's word honored in our lives leads to true peace. Third, the wisdom from above is gentle. God's wisdom, godly wisdom, which is from above, is gentle. God's wisdom obeyed makes makes us gentle. It makes us, and the idea here is that it makes us gentle in how we deal with others. And again, don't do not hear me say weakness, because we can be strong individuals, strong in the truth of God's word firm in our faith, and yet learning how to be gentle with one another and gracious with one another. Again, not compromising the truth, but patient when wronged, and that's especially important because so often in our lives where we where we get started in the wrong direction is because we think that we have been wronged and I deserve better than this. But if we're living by God's wisdom, we're going to learn to be gentle when wronged, patient with the shortcomings of others. Strong in the faith, not weak, but gentle with the ones around around us and not abrasive. Fourth, the wisdom from above is open to reason. Kind of goes along with being gentle. 
open to reason. Wisdom from above makes you easier to get along with. Trust me. Uh, me too. Wisdom from above makes you and me easier to get along with. Worldly wisdom does just the opposite. It leads to hardness of heart. It leads to an objectionable attitude. It leads to objectionable conduct. But I'll tell you what, the one who believes in and obeys God's wisdom also knows the peace of God and knows that God is in control. If you're humbling yourself before the wisdom of God, you know God is in control in this situation that I'm dealing with right now. And that will help you have a reasonable attitude, one that is willing to hear others out, listening to all sides, not insisting on having one's own way. Fifth, why is God's wisdom so good and so powerful to help us control our lives and our tongues? The wisdom from above is full of mercy. It is full of mercy. We hear this from Jesus. If we were to go, and I want you to just listen to this passage from Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind, note it, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. You do not hear God's word saying, God is kind and gracious to those who are kind and gracious. <laughs> oh, how humbling, yes, that God would stoop to love those who are ungrateful and evil. How dare we not learn to be full of mercy, right? And we will learn to be full of mercy if we yield to the wisdom that is from above. Because those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord know that God has shown them such great mercy. And they themselves couldn't stand the thought of not showing the same mercy that God has been so gracious to show them, mercy which none of us deserves. And the believer who is guided by God's wisdom will not be one who has only been shown mercy, but they will also be one who is showing mercy. Sixth. The wisdom from above is also full of good fruits. You might also think of it as good works, works of obedience, that, that working with the mercy of God at work in us, we practice good works of obedience toward others. We walk in obedience to God's word and we show the love of God to others and we are gracious to others and we are full of mercy toward others and we are full of good fruits toward others, good works. The believer who's living by the wisdom from above will, will be a growing believer, in other words. Growing believe, believer. Faithful and obedient believers are, are fruitful believers, are people who serve to meet the needs of others, who are full of good fruits. Seventh, the wisdom from above is impartial. It's impartial, and the idea here I know we heard about impartiality earlier in James. The idea here is that the wisdom from above leads the believer to an unwavering life. Now, it could mean that, that the wisdom from above leads to impartiality, which is a refusal to, to play favorites. And we did hear James certainly challenge that this is true, as we saw back in chapter 2. And I would agree that, that the wisdom that is from above helps us learn to be impartial so that we don't play favorites among uh, people. But I think here in this example, he's getting at being impartial and unwavering in one's devotion to God. 
impartial and unwavering in one's faith. Uh, for one thing, he's going to point to this truth when we get to chapter 4, very early in chapter 4. God's wisdom, listen, God's wisdom, believed and obeyed, leads to wholehearted devotion to the truth, to the truth of God's word, and refuses to compromise that truth. If you wholeheartedly believe God's word, you're going to be devoted to the word of God, and you will not want to waver from that truth. And then number eight, the wisdom from above is sincere. It is sincere. In other words, it is unhypocritical. And this is an argument we often hear from unbelievers. Christians are so, right, hypocritical. And we have to say, oh my, how often that is true. And how it should not be true. You see, God's wisdom, when it is applied to the life of the believer, leads to sincerity of faith. It leads to a sincerity of living. It leads to an unpretentious way of life, not pretending to be one thing when you're really something else. And that's what James has been challenging us with, isn't it? If you say you're a follower of Christ, then prove it by your obedience, by your works. You see, the believer who is being shaped by the wisdom that is from above is not afraid to admit a weakness, not afraid to admit a fault, and willing to be challenged by the truth of God's word and let other people see that he's a real-life human being who sins and is, is forgiven of his sins and gets back on his feet and walks in obedience to God's word. That's why the wisdom that is from above is sincere. So those are eight descriptions of God's wisdom, wisdom that is that is biblical wisdom, wisdom that is from above, and the only wisdom that God gives. Now, the outcome of living by worldly wisdom, we've only touched on that, and I want you to go back to verse 16 and look at it. The outcome of living by worldly wisdom is seen clearly in verse 16. What is it? It is disorder and every vile practice, says James. Worldly wisdom leads only to trouble. But look at verse 18. Guess what the outcome is of living according to God's wisdom? This is why we ought to run to God's wisdom. And we ought to pour God's word into our hearts and minds. We ought to take steps to obey God's word. Look at verse 18 for the outcome of living according to God's wisdom. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Who are those who are making peace? It is, it is only those who are humbling themselves to the wisdom that is from above, because peace does not come any other way. The world can't give it. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where God's wisdom is believed in, where God's wisdom is obeyed, there is blessing. There is blessing. Where God's wisdom is lived by, there is a sowing of righteousness and peace. And where these are sown, peace will be the harvest. You reap what you sow. It is a biblical principle. It is a life truth. You don't see farmers wandering out in their field in the spring look around and say, well, at the end of the season, I expect to see corn here. So let's go watch Jeopardy. 
and comes back in three months and says, wow, look at all the corn. How did that get here? That's pretty cool. Doesn't happen that way. He starts working, right? He starts sowing corn in the spring. And he cares for it and he waters it and he fertilizes it. And it, if it's like the corn of these days, it gets really tall and really productive, right? How? Because the farmer worked. Guess what? You reap what you sow. You, you need to get God's wisdom, the wisdom that is from above, into your life and take steps to obey every day. Even little baby steps are better than no steps at all. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace in our personal lives, peace with the people around us, peace in the workplace, even when no one else is helping you to try to make peace. Why? Because the peace that passes understanding only comes as you walk in obedience to God's word and God gives you peace as you obey him. James shows us that we should be people who say little and do much. You know what I mean? <laughs> be careful what you say, right? Learning, learning to control the tongue really begins by learning to control the heart and learning to control the life. And being careful that we're not more talkative than we are living our obedience. We need to live what we say we believe. We need to say little and do much. He's challenging us that we prove whether we're living by God's wisdom, not so much by what we say we believe, but by what we do. Because the true state of the heart will be seen in our actions. As we hear him say in verse 13, the one who's living by God's wisdom... By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, in obedience to God's word. So put on the wisdom from above, and guess what? You will find control, not only for your tongue, but for your whole life. 